week from A.W. Tozer. If you've ever heard of him, he is a Christian writer who is from another generation, but he pulls no punches. And he, he says things that need to be said, and he says them in a way that sort of cuts through all of the pretend that goes on in, in church lives. This is from a book entitled Rut, Rock, or Revival. He says this, the church is afflicted by dry rock. This is best explained when the psychology of non-expectation takes over and spiritual rigidity sets in, which is an inability to visualize anything better, a lack of desire for improvement. Now think about that. The church, he says, is afflicted by dry rock, which is the idea that nothing will ever change. There's no expectation we can show up on Sunday morning that God's going to meet us here and something's going to happen. He goes on to say, there are many who respond by arguing that I know lots of evangelical churches that would like to grow. They do their best to get the crowds in. They want to grow. They have contests to make their Sunday school larger. That's true, he says. But they are trying to get people to come and share their rights. They want people to help them celebrate the ropes and finally join in the rocks. Because the Holy Spirit is not given a chance to work in our services, nobody is repenting. Nobody is seeking God. Nobody is spending a day in quiet waiting on God with an open Bible, seeking to mend his or her ways. Nobody is doing it. We just want more people. But more people for what? More people to come and repeat our dead services without feeling, without meaning, without wonder, without surprise. More people to join us in the bondage to the rock. For the most part, spiritual rigidity that cannot bend is too weak to know just how weak it is. Now, the reason I read that, I, I ran across that this week and, and I thought, well, that's a great quote. I need that. I need to set that aside as one of these things I'm going to be preaching on the church and that'll be a powerful quote. We're in a series of lessons on the book of 1 Peter. One of the things about teaching through a book of the Bible is nobody ever thinks that I'm sort of aiming at them in my sermon because you just teach the next set of verses that come up. Well, the next set of verses that come up today are about marriage. Last week we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, I'm going to talk to you about living in Jesus' life. And first of all, he said, I want, you to, I want you to see how to live out the Jesus life as a citizen in your nation. How to have a, uh, an influence publicly in the way a nation goes. Uh, it, it, a nation needs Jesus life people. And he said, I want you to see how to live out the Jesus life in your workplace. As employees, whether you have a good boss that you love or a bad boss that gives you grief. We serve the Lord, and so the Jesus life plays out without regard for the particular circumstances of our co-workers. Well, today, he's going to take us to your real adventure. You think it's hard to live the Jesus life as a citizen of the nation? You think it's hard to live the Jesus life in difficult work environments? And as you can say, let's talk about living the Jesus life in the context of home. 
part of the reason why I've never bought into this idea that, that men are just the highest animal in the food chain is because we're not an animal. We're fundamentally different than any other creature on the planet because we were created in the image of God. But then God came along and created one in His image. And He did this extraordinary thing. He put the man and the woman together and He said the two will become one flesh. And here's what happened. In the relationship of the man and the woman, both created in the image of God, but put together in marriage, what we have is the single best example, illustration, if you will, of who God is. God is Trinity, three in one. He's unified. There's no conflict within God Himself, but He is Father, Son, and Spirit. The only way we can even begin to catch a glimpse of understanding who God is is He put man and woman together, and then that amazing something that comes out of those two separate pieces that are not just the, the sum total of, of their heart, they're greater than that. We have this mystery of God who is more than one, but He's one. The Bible is serious about marriages because we put God on display in a good way or a bad way in our marriage more than anything else we do. That's why marriage is such a good deal to God. And that's why it's worth so much to say that. When there is a great marriage, when a man and a woman become one flesh, and they're putting Jesus on display, we say the galaxies still shake as a cheer. Alright? Open your eyes to 1 Peter and go to chapter 3. And I want us to, to walk through this. I'll, I'll, I'm going to take you through these verses and then we'll, um, we'll see what we'll that leads us. You know, I noticed as soon as the baby starts talking, the dad passed her to grandpa. There's a bunch of friends out there with her one day. Uh, 
uh, the director, begin with what I call the submissive spirit. Now, make me notice in the early verses of this chapter that Paul, that Peter, uh, says, submitting something to your husband so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. He's talking to all wives in this chapter, but he's talking particularly in his generation to wives that have unbelieving husbands. Now, in the first century, Christianity, the Christian message, was so appealing, this idea of liberty, this idea of value, this idea that you were a special creation by God, and he had particular friends just for you. That message of, uh, of spiritual freedom was particularly attractive to two groups within Roman society. Number one, slaves, and number two, women. It's because in the context of their culture, um, that the message was a was appealing to those two groups. So early Christian churches had uh, an overwhelming percentage of their membership drawn from the classes of slaves. So Peter is writing here to wives in general, but he's writing particularly to wives that don't believe in Unfortunately, 2,000 years after Peter writes, that is still an incredibly common situation. There is something the enemy has always done in every generation where he tries to convince men that, that Christianity, the church, that's for women and children. That's not a that's not a manly thing to do. That, that's for that's, that's what we let the, the wife handle the little ones in and go do that. Let me get some that's a misunderstanding of Christianity because Christianity requires some red blooded, strong men to fight battles of spiritual warfare. The men are supposed to lead their wives. So Peter is riding in a situation and we have this this common argument. He's writing particularly to those women who encourage them when they have husbands who are not believers. Now, let's look at these verses. He starts by saying, in the same way. In chapter 2, he said, I'm going to tell you how to live Jesus' life as a citizen of the nation. I'm going to tell you how to live out the Jesus' life as an employee at your workplace. In the same way is a phrase that connects chapter 3 to chapter 2. And that's where he's going to think is now I'm going to talk to you about how to live out the Jesus life in your home, in your marriage relationship, even when you have a spouse who's not a believer. Now, he uses the word, word, in two different ways here. He says, submit to your own husband, we'll come back to that word, submit yourself to your own husband, so that even if some disobey the word, meaning the word of God, they may be won over without a word, meaning the word that the wife speaks. What he's telling her is that her best and most valuable testimony is the life that he's going to describe that she can live out on display for her husband. Now, let's talk about this word. If the first trait of godly life, if the first trait of godly life is a submissive spirit, in the same way, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. First of all, notice what he says. Wives submit to your own husbands. And there are critics of Christianity who love to misrepresent what the Bible teaches. And they will say things like, there is Peter talking about how women are supposed to submit to men. That's not what he says here. He is not talking, he's not saying that men are superior to women. He's not saying that women are second class citizens or of less value 
uh, within the world and within the body of Christ. And he's talking about a specific situation, a uh, relationship between a husband and a wife. Wives, submit to your own husband. Now, what is the word name? Because in our culture, when you use the word submit in a sermon, people lose their minds. Honestly, I've preached some messages over the years that I thought were very hard, very edgy, very kind of in your face. But when I preach any sermon about marriage that includes the word submit, that's when I get pushback. That's when people are like, well, uh, that would never work in my marriage. Dry rock. Dry rock is when you say, I have no expectation that God can do anything to ever make my marriage Testimony from a valuable possession, which is a flawless testimony. 
It supremely describes a woman under perfect control, a gentle and quiet spirit. She's not given over to the panic of our generation. She's not always uh, up in the air because of the chaos surrounding her. She is a woman of elegance and dignity because there is in her a quiet and gentle spirit. And here's the best part. It's not only imperishable. It's not only played out in elegance and dignity. But it says this is a great work in God's sight. Can I convince that when a woman becomes who God created her to be, when that inner quality plays out in the beauty of her soul, and you can see it, in my sexual imagination, I see God, a whole of angels, and say, that is my prayer. That, that's exactly what I created her to be. It's not even a doctrine. It's a missive spirit. Match with a beautiful character. It's a long way towards those becoming the one that God created to be. The third trait of God's life is what I call the fearless faith. Look at verse 2 to verse 5. He says, For in the past, he's going to bring up some examples now. In the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in his way, submitting to their husbands. In other words, he says, Think about some of the godly women that you know about, that you've read about, that you maybe saw or, or you've seen in the Word of God. When they put their trust in God, their hope in God, they did these first two things. They adorned themselves in this way, meaning they focused on their inner beauty, developing that beautiful character. It says they submitted their own husbands. They developed and practiced that submissive spirit. And in verse 6, he gives us a specific example. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have to come children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. He uses Sarah as a prime example of a godly wife. Her obedience to Abraham is not servitude, it was not a slavish following of everything Abraham said, but it was an acceptance of her husband's leadership. Now, let me talk about this imbalance of verses. Last six verses for the wife and one verse for the man. Because honestly, we're going to have a tougher job. And Peter is not hammering them with, with increased instruction. He's trying to strengthen them with extra well, let's look at the example Sarah. Sarah is the godly wife that he uses. You go back and read the Old Testament. What you have is you have Abraham. Abraham is all the Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham is the first of the patriarchs. It was reckoned that he had said that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham is a big character in the Bible. But when you go back and read the stories, what you find out is that Sarah was right there beside Abraham in this whole process. The difference was, Sarah typically got God's instruction through Abraham. God spoke to Sarah directly, 
much less in an Old Testament than he spoke directly to anybody. What I'm telling you is, it was tougher for Sarah to know how to follow God because she was trying to do it alongside her husband rather than in a, in a, in a relationship that turned up and out of process. Let me give you an example. My wife is reading a book right now, and she won't let me look at it. But every now and then, I hear her just laugh, and I look up and she's reading that book. I have seen the title of the book. It's entitled, Help, I'm Married to My Pastor. <laughs> Citizen submits to authority, 